Good morning. Good to be with you here. My neighbor and I had coffee this week, and he told me an interesting story about a friend of his who is a car salesman. And in this particular car dealership, um, a pig farmer came uh, in uh, to the uh, dealership, and uh, he had only a paper bag with him. He had, though, also the uh, accompanying odors of a pig farm that were also following him around as he went from car to car and truck to truck. And one salesperson was rather alarmed, and so she actually followed him around with a can of air freshener and sprayed wherever he had been, which, when you think of it, is actually pretty awful, right? Basically saying, you don't belong here, um, you should go. Uh, this other salesman, though, saw this person and went up to him and began a conversation, and uh, he indicated that he was interested in buying a truck. And uh, in his paper bag, he had a sack full of cash, ready to pay cash on the spot. Now, just to be cautious, they called the bank and uh, were assured that, yes, uh, this gentleman actually has enough in this in his bank account to buy your whole dealership, and so uh, you really should sell him a truck. And so that second salesperson got the commission on that day. The first, you see, had completely underestimated this person. So we don't want to be too quick to dismiss people as unimportant. Last week, Pastor Dan spoke from John chapter 14. If you'd like to turn there, we'll be in the uh, 14 through 16 uh, this week. Those beautiful verses, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. But Jesus said, I'm going to my Father. I'm going to prepare a place for you there, and I'm going to return and bring you home. But I'm sure for the disciples and for us, yes, but what about in the meantime? You're returning to the Father, to that unfathomable relationship of deep love, but where does that leave us? Jesus will return, but what about now? Jesus inviting us into the wonder of his relationship with his Father, but actually the relationship gets even richer because he says now he will send another who is like him to remain with us forever. I don't know if the disciples could even hear him at this point. They lost, uh, Jesus lost them when he said, I'm leaving. He said, ah, don't go. Another like you? No, we want you. Not so fast, Jesus would say. Don't underestimate this one who is to come. First century Jewish wedding customs are actually fascinating and uh, so the father of the groom would arrange a uh, marriage for his son. There would be an engagement. And at the point of engagement, they would actually be legally married. A purchase price would be paid, and there would be an interval of time, undetermined length. But then, with shouts, the groom would approach the bride's town. And he would come and he would bring the bride in triumphal procession to the father's house to a prepared place that he had made for her there. Well, hopefully that sounds a little bit familiar because that's really the background of those famous verses in John 14. Because the father, our heavenly father, has arranged a marriage for his son with us, the church his bride. 
And so we are legally married, as it were. He's paid a purchase price, in fact, the price of Jesus' own life. We are in that interval of time, undetermined length, but he will return with shouts, and he will bring us in triumphal procession back to his Father's house, to the prepared place that he has made for us. But the Jewish wedding customs have another factor as well. Because as the groom was away preparing the place, he would send a mediator. He would send a go-between, his legal representative. And that mediator would bring gifts from the groom. And they would be an assurance that he is in fact returning and he is preparing a place. That is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings gifts from the Son, which are his assurance that the Son is, in fact, preparing that place in the Father's house. And so Jesus goes on, we're in verse 16 of chapter 14, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Do you see the beautiful interaction here? He's asking the Father, and the Father will send the Spirit. The gift of the Spirit is giving in the context of this loving relationship. The Spirit, the legal representative, the advocate, will come on the groom's behalf, bringing gifts with him to assure us that the groom, Jesus, is indeed preparing that place in the Father's house. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' engagement gift to us, the church, his bride. It says that he will ask the Father, and this isn't sort of a, well, I'll ask and see how it goes. This is asking with certainty. I know that this will happen. He has already said to the disciples, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And here the, Jesus himself is asking the Father to give us the Holy Spirit. I'm leaving, but you will not be alone. The one whom I send will remind you of God's love. He will witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. You will cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father, the Spirit is the certainty, the seal of that promise that the marriage supper, when the bride and the groom are finally united and celebrate together, that that will happen. And we live in this tension of the now and the not yet. We know what wonders and beauty is to come, but we live in the tension of these days. And the Spirit is with us in those tensions. He groans with us in these days. Well, Jesus said he is another advocate. That's actually a very specific word he chooses, meaning another of the same kind. This isn't a contrasting advocate. This is another of the same kind. You won't be alone after all because he is just like me. All that I am, he is. 
and he will remain with you forever. Though invisible to the world, he will live in you. Jesus has said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And now another one of the same kind is coming. Well, Jesus is like the Father. He is God. The Spirit is like Jesus. That means the Spirit is also God. He is God. And this is wonderful and it's awesome that God is living in me. And so the psalmist can say, we can say with the psalmist, where can I go from your spirit? Nowhere, because he goes with you. Jesus saying, the spirit that I'm sending is just like me. He will help you. He will be with you forever. You will be in good hands. And then he says, you already know him. Disciples might say, well, I don't think we do. What do you mean we know him? Just like Philip's question about the Father. Show us the Father, and, and then it'll be enough. No, no, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you have seen the Spirit. He will come on all flesh without distinction to gender or race or status or age. Sons, daughters, old, young will dream and prophesy, and we will be his temple singly, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. Together we are the dwelling place, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we, the followers of Jesus Christ, are a spirit-filled, spirit-led community. That longing of Moses when he said so long ago, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them, that now has taken place. So who is this Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus says he's an advocate. Like so many Greek words, this one is so rich, it takes a whole bunch of English words just to get the idea across. It's the idea of a strong one coming alongside to help, a rescuer, a comforter, an encourager, a helper, an intercessor, a go-between, a mediator, a teacher, a guide, an ambassador, an advocate is a legal friend, a strong ally standing with you, a counselor who exhorts, who empowers, guarding his possession, that's us, mediating Christ to us, reproducing Christ in us, and representing Christ perfectly to us. Jesus on earth had prayed for his disciples. He defended them. He'd represented the Father to them. Now the Spirit will do that. We have not one, but two advocates. In 1 John, Jesus is called an advocate. He is the one who is at God's right hand interceding for us, representing us to the Father. And the Spirit is within us, communicating God the Father and Jesus to us. So one advocates in heaven and the other on earth. Jesus pleads our case to God. The Spirit pleads God's case with us. The advocate is also called the Spirit of Truth. And Jesus has been making the case all through John's gospel for his identity for who he is. Even in this chapter, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the only way to God. And now the Spirit will continue that work. 
He will be the one who will speak truth about God, specifically the truth of who Jesus is, that Jesus is the truth. The spirit of truth will be particularly good at doing just that, showing that Jesus is the truth. The, the world won't be aware of him, but you already know him because to know me is to know him. All that I've done on earth has been in the power and under the leading of the Holy Spirit. So you should recognize him because you know me. You see, Jesus himself was the first and only human to ever be 100% dependent and spirit-filled man. He knew exactly what that was like. And so he knew it would be a wonderful experience for his followers to be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. So much so that he could say to them, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That's astounding. Even though I leave, another will come who is so much like me that it will be just like I was there. In the Spirit, I myself will come to you, Jesus says. A foretaste of when God will dwell among us, as the book of Revelation says. Carrie and I are adoptive parents. We had the incredible privilege of adopting a young girl into our family 20 years ago. And if you ever meet someone who's adopted and you want to say to them, you're so lucky, don't. The lucky ones are the parents. We are so blessed to have had that joy. And we are trying the best way that we can to stand in for a parent who wasn't able to be there for her. We're trying our best. But the Holy Spirit isn't trying his best to step in for someone else. Rather, he is perfectly representing, perfectly representing the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not alone. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen me, Jesus could say, you've seen the Spirit. Well, if he's another comforter, then he's also a person. He's a person, another of the same kind. He's as much a person as Christ is. We say spirit, and we think, well, is that, is that kind of mysterious? He is a person, just like Jesus is. A person who will take Jesus' place, do his work. He is the spirit of the Father. He is the spirit of Christ. Now, the word in Greek for advocate is actually paraclete. And it's a masculine word in Greek. But spirit is neuter. So technically, if you were saying the spirit did something, you would actually use the pronoun it. But can you see that for obvious reasons, John uses he, not for gender, because God has no gender, but because the Holy Spirit is a person, not an it, a person, with perfect personality. And as such, he can interact, he can listen, he can communicate, he can be grieved. He is emotionally vulnerable. We have a unique relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. And if he's a person, then 
It seems odd that we would ignore him or, or not listen to him or talk with him. Another person of the same kind, therefore he is God. He is so closely linked to Christ and to the Father that we can come to no other conclusion than he is God, dwelling in us as his holy temple, the life of God within us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all on the same page. They're on point with their message. Jesus said, these words that you hear that he's been teaching are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. There's perfect unity there between the Father and I and the message. But then he also says, all this that I have spoken, my teaching while still with you, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So there's complete harmony. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He will remind you of all that I have said. That's where we get the Gospels. That's why we have a Gospel of John that we know is from God. The Holy Spirit reminded John and led him to write all that he wrote. He is the Holy Spirit. He is the one who makes us holy. His character matters above all. He lives out the character of Jesus among us and he enables us to obey. Verse 27, we read on. Jesus saying here, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This book ends that beautiful passage. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Why? Because I'm giving you my peace. Immediately following the promise of the Spirit's coming, we have the result of the Spirit's coming, and that will be true, lasting peace. It's not too much to say that the Spirit is Jesus' peace that He is leaving with us. The Holy Spirit is our peace, an assurance of God's love and approval. Don't be troubled. I'll prepare a place for you. I'll bring you there. But in the meantime, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has given us the Spirit, His peace. One who groans with us, intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray. Dear friends, there are times I, I can't watch anymore. I see the horrors of what's happening in Ukraine. And I see the, the demolition of society there and the deep suffering. And I, I don't even know what to say anymore. I don't know how to pray. Wednesday morning, we have a, a time with our staff when we come and we're just, we just sit in silence and, and just pray in silence. And I sit there and I just, Holy Spirit, I'm grieved. I don't know what to say. And I know that the Holy Spirit grieves with me in, in prayers, in, in things that couldn't be put into language. The Holy Spirit grieves with us. He groans with us. Jesus goes on now in chapter 15 and verse 26. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... The spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify because you've been with me from the beginning. Here's this beautiful link between his witness and ours. 
He witnesses to Christ on earth, and, and, and the, the Spirit testifies us to us and then we to the world. Have, have you noticed sometimes that you're trying to talk about Jesus and it all comes out mungled up and, and you, you don't feel like you're getting anywhere? And, it just, and then there's other times that you just feel it flows and the person hears you and receives. That's the Spirit. He's testifying with you, and then He's testifying through you. And boy, you want to pray that that happens, that the Spirit is the one speaking to you and through you. That's what Jesus is promising here. He'll give you the words to say at the right time. He'll prepare the way and speak through you. You may have noticed that here the Son sends the Spirit, Previous verses, the Father sends the Spirit. Wait a minute, did John forget or, or what? Well, John does like to change up the way he says things, but it's, it's not a problem because they're so united in purpose, so aligned that for one to do something is for the other to do it. Unfortunately, the, the church between the East and the West had a hard time figuring this out, but the Spirit proceeds eternally from the Father through the Son. The Father gives the Spirit the Son sends the Spirit. But we, we don't have here three separate beings. This is the mystery of the Trinity. But we cannot have one without another. We can't receive Jesus without receiving the Spirit. They are a trinity. They are united in purpose and operation. Jesus is with the Father, and the Spirit is His representative. Chapter 16 and verse 6, Jesus says, Now I'm going to him, the Father who sent me. You are filled with grief because I have said this. I, I can understand that. They've been with Jesus for three years. He says, I'm leaving. They're filled with heaviness. They can't really hear his words about an advocate coming. But he says, Truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Have you ever um, been, you know, with your kids and they don't want you to leave and you said, don't worry, a babysitter's coming. They're, no, no, I want you. Maybe you've had the opposite experience. Great, you know, go have a good time. We like babysitter. But, but here they were like, no, no, don't leave. Don't leave. How would it ever be good for Jesus to leave them? They were in great sorrow. Well, I think there are a few things we can point to. First of all, Jesus could be in only one location at a time. When he was on earth, I mean, in the incarnation, he could be in one location. If he was in Capernaum, he wasn't in Jerusalem. But the Spirit can be in all of us, wherever we are throughout the world. Wherever we go in our lives, the Spirit goes with us. So he can be in every believer anywhere. The Spirit couldn't do His work in us until Jesus had done His saving work on the cross and was glorified. Only then could Jesus be at the right hand of God, glorified, interceding for us. So He said earlier in John, you believe in me, rivers of living water will flow from you. And John adds, by this Jesus meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up till that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. But now that that's happened, the Spirit can flow. Also, 
I think it's demonstrably better in effect in the followers of Christ. If, if we were writing a story and making up a story about Jesus, I don't think we would have presented the disciples as the kind of confused numbskulls that they were half the time. And I would have been just, just as confused with them. And just as much of a numbskull, I suspect. But there they were, and they were with Jesus for three years, and there was certainly benefit to that when Jesus was physically present. But when he's arrested, what do they do? They run and fled away. They're gone. One of them denying they ever knew him. But when they were filled with the Spirit, they're boldly proclaiming the news about Jesus Christ. When Jesus was present right to the end, they were clueless Right at the Last Supper, who's the greatest? There was this big argument about that. Even after the resurrection, they're hiding, they're off fishing, they're in shame. Pentecost happens, the Spirit comes, and they're bold. We'll throw you in prison if you keep talking about Jesus. Bring it on. We can't help but talk about him. What's happened? It's the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's better, too, because the Spirit's work of drawing us to true salvation can happen. The Spirit helps us understand and receive the full meaning of Christ's death and resurrection. Jesus has given a perfect example, but only the Spirit can reproduce His character in us. So Jesus goes on in verse 8. When He, the Spirit, comes... He will prove to the world that they were in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Wrong about sin because people don't believe in me. Wrong about righteousness because I'm going to my Father where you can see me no longer. And wrong about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So this is actually the only place in Scripture we read about the Spirit working in the world. Not as an advocate here, but as a prosecutor. You see, the world's definition of sin, of what is right, and who and how we should judge is incorrect. And the Spirit needs to witness that, convict about that. You see, either God is wrong or we are wrong. Either He's wrong when He says we're sinners or we're wrong when we say we're not. The Holy Spirit convinces us personally of our sin and our need for Jesus. So he exposes the world's key sin, the core of sin, which is a refusal to believe in Jesus. We're wrong about righteousness because there is an absolute standard of God's character. Now he says, he says that's because I'm going to the Father. In other words, when I'm at God's right hand, I will be completely vindicated that my sacrifice was necessary and received that he is righteous and we're not now we're wrong about judgment as well you see satan in his rebellion stands condemned by jesus perfect obedience he's already judged by the crucifixion and resurrection they were wrong in their verdict about jesus so the spirit is the one who convinces people that they need jesus also, the Spirit restrains evil. Bad as things are, they would be worse if the Spirit was not restraining evil. We look at events, and, and some, someone asked me just a couple of weeks ago, do you think the whole thing will be destroyed by, by nuclear war? And I say, no. 
because there has to be a planet for the Lord to return to when He comes again with people on it. And so God through the Spirit is restraining evil to be sure that God's purposes can prevail. So the question for us is, how have we responded to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit prompts us to believe in Jesus. He prompts us to repent. He prompts us to obey. But we can resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And if we do so unto death, there is no no further hope for us. If we become so hardened that we resist the Holy Spirit, we, we are hardened and it's harder and harder to respond to the Spirit. So the writer of Hebrews warns us. He says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. As it is written, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. He has so much better for us. But dear friends, do not resist. If the Holy Spirit is is in your heart and you have not received Jesus, he's prompting you to give your life to Jesus. Don't continue to resist that. If you, you are, are um, holding sin and holding on to it in your life and, and, and cherishing it and he's, he's urging you to repent, do not resist his work. Some people will say they fear that they have perhaps gone too far, that they have committed the eternal sin, the unpardonable sin. Dear friends, I want to tell you, if you are at all concerned that that's happened, it has not. Satan would love to convince you that you've gone too far. But if you are here and are at all concerned, then listen to what the Spirit is saying and respond to it. But don't continue to resist the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I have much to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He won't speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. Jesus knew, and and the spirit knows, that sometimes we're just not ready to hear. But he knows when we are ready to hear. And the spirit of truth, he says, will guide us into all the truth. That doesn't mean that if you don't study for your chemistry exam, you can say, spirit of God, lead me into all truth. Uh, This is the truth specifically, okay, about Jesus, his person and work, but he's gently leading us to do that. And he's also not going to go off on his own. He's not going to come up with some new, different teaching. Rather, he's going to lead us into an understanding of all that Christ taught. The Holy Spirit doesn't make up new stuff. It's the same message. They're on the same page. And he says, you plural, will be led into all truth, meaning that we are a community of discernment. When someone feels there's a a message from the Lord, hopefully they have the humility not to just say, this is what God says, you better deal with it, but rather to submit that to a community of discernment. 
Because the Holy Spirit will never lead us contrary to Scripture. He won't lead us and give us revelation that is on the level of Scripture. We can ask the Spirit to illuminate a passage of Scripture, to bring understanding, wisdom into decisions. You see, the church would recognize communally, led by the Spirit, what gospels and letters would be recognized as Scripture. Paul writes, don't despise prophecy, discern, cling to what is good, set aside what is not, but it'll be Jesus-centered and through the lens of Scripture, but also you singular. He will individualize Christ's teaching to you as you need it and illuminate its truth. Verse 14, he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he has made known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he has made known to you. The Spirit continues to glorify Jesus and prompt us to do the same. He shines a light on Jesus for us, interpreting him, reproducing him in our character. All that the Spirit reveals to us is directly from Jesus himself, who in turn has received all from the Father. You see, the Godhead is a cycle of honor, a glorious circle of honor. Certainly, the Spirit glorifies Jesus rather than himself. But in fact, no person in the Trinity glorifies himself. They all give glory to another. You see here Jesus honoring the Spirit in these verses. He's honoring his Father and vice versa. Every person in the Godhead can glorify another without diminishment. Complete unity in the Trinity. All that is the Father's is Christ. The Holy Spirit reveals all that Christ is to us. But we are invited in to this perfect, eternal, unbroken harmony of relational love. This awesome, mysterious, glorious mutual love, mutual submission, mutual honoring, glorifying communion of the Godhead. We can have misconceptions about the Trinity. Some people see the Father as very stern, gotta watch out. The Spirit, very mysterious. Lucky we've got the Son, at least. No, no, to know one is to know them all. God is three in one. He is one in three. Consistent character, holiness, and compassion. So what to do? Well, we thank the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Spirit, for showing me Jesus, for bringing me to a place of belief. I want to listen to the Spirit, His promptings to pray. That time when you just feel like you should call that certain person, you don't know why, and you call them and they say, how did you ever know to call me right now? That's the Spirit. That prompting to act, to give, to love, to forgive, to praise, to encourage, to repent. We want to welcome Him, welcome Him to fill us to be completely, totally filled, influenced, controlled by the Holy Spirit, practicing His presence. We want to invite Him to act specifically 
in His presence and the work within us to witness, to guide us, to comfort us, to understand a scripture, to, to know how to pray, and when we don't, to pray with Him and join Him in His wordless groanings. To cry with Him that deep cry, Come, Lord Jesus. To depend on Him, to depend on Him as a church. You see, we as a church could get some nifty programs that really conformed people. We could somehow, if we were brilliant enough, get people to conform to certain standards of behavior. But without the Holy Spirit, we can never see people transformed. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a wind, the very presence of God, regenerating and refreshing. The Holy Spirit is a seal. He's showing His ownership of us. His presence is the seal that we are adopted, that we have value and security. The Holy Spirit is a fire. He's consuming us, this terrifying purify. Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, but he will burn away what is dead within us. The Holy Spirit is a dove. He's pure. He's peace-loving. He seeks shalom within us. The Holy Spirit is a down payment a foretaste, a solemn promise, the bridegroom's engagement gift to us. The Holy Spirit is living water, quenching life's true thirst, refreshing us. The Holy Spirit is oil, anointing us, remaining with us, giving us light, the oil of gladness. Let Him be all of that in you, all that God is. Don't just know this stuff in your head. Experience Him in relationship. All that God is in the Holy Spirit, He is in you. Delight in His presence. Ah, oh, that groaning, that longing for redemption. Jesus is preparing a place. The Spirit is the promise. When we come to the table of the Lord, as we will in a moment, and we recognize that we, we partake of these elements, the bread, the body of Christ, the, the cup, the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul writes that we ought to do this and recognize this until He comes. And it's the Holy Spirit, in that beautiful way that the book of Revelation wraps up, it says the Spirit and the bride say come. And the Spirit within us is saying, come, Lord Jesus, come now. This simple meal is a foretaste of a far greater meal to come, that marriage supper of the Lamb. And so as we prepare for communion, I, I, I'm going to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to search you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test my anxious thoughts. See if there be some wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Take time to, to pray that prayer that the Holy Spirit would just draw 
attention and, and put his spotlight on something you need to make right. And then the beauty of that is that having done that, the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you from all sin. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit to show us how to be more like you. And I pray in these moments that, that he would speak to us and show us what we need to make right. But then, Lord Jesus, I thank you for what these emblems mean, that you gave your very body broken for us, that your blood was shed for us, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just, you will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we partake, Lord, with great joy, but also, God, with longing as we look forward to that better day when you come, end suffering, and restore justice and take your bride to be with you for that glorious marriage supper of the Lamb. We partake in wonder and joy.